I think dinner is a special thing. I love it. I suppose that this is a statement that you would expect from a private chef and cooking instructor. But the reasons behind Amanda Cushman's statement go far beyond her culinary profession. It's a belief. A belief that preparing a meal is about so much more than the food that's being served. It's about connections to the people that you share the food with. It's about the connections to the food itself. That's the one meal we eat in this house. Even if we don't eat anything else, we'll eat dinner because it's it's definitely that feeling of the end of the day, a little reward for getting through the day, you have a nice meal. Something simple. It's very therapeutic, I find. Just because you're nourishing yourself, I think that's the neat the thing is that you cook with that feeling of nourishing yourself and wanting to eat something really that's going to feel good, not something with lots of steps or a big fancy thing. Welcome to the Heritage Cookbook Project podcast, where we document and preserve heritage by connecting with cooks across the country who share food memories, family recipes, and a little bit of themselves. And I'm your host, Leigh Olson. Amanda's parents were, in her own words, hippies. Like many of the members of the counterculture movement of the 60s and 70s, they navigated a landscape that looked at life from a holistic, inclusive point of view. Food was a way to explore cultures, a way to connect with diverse communities. The food on their table was global, diverse, and sustainable. But in Amanda's mind, it was just normal. I grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut. This used to be a small country town. Now it's more of a suburb of New York. When I was a kid, it was like farms and really country. Everything was farm to table. Everybody had a garden. We composted. We had a small yard, not big, but we had enough room to grow a lot of vegetables. People had chickens. Back to nature is how I grew up. My mother made everything from scratch. We didn't have any sugar. We had no packaged food. We didn't have anything from a can. And she would mail away for whole wheat flour that he could only get from some special farm. But she wanted all that stuff because she wanted us not to eat white flour and all that stuff. She was a big follower of Adele Davis. She was a big health food guru. She had many books. And she was kind of like the leader of a movement of healthy foods. No sugar, no processed food, just like what everybody's doing now. (laughs) No uh, stuff with chemicals in it and all that stuff. And she was a big proponent. She had... I wish I could remember some of her books, but she, my mom had a number of them. So my mom read all these things. We did juicing. That kind of stuff that was that's big now was big then, too. There was just, you know, a smaller amount of people following it. I was brought up very hippie, which I loved. It was great. My parents were not straight at all. They were wild and crazy and very liberal and very, you know, marching in the streets and, you know. They were both good cooks, actually. My dad was a cook, too, but not as much because he was working all the time. They loved having parties, and they had a lot of parties. And they had theme parties, which was really fun. She did a lot of international dishes. My godparents weren't from Indonesia. My mother would have, like, a party, Indonesian party. She'd do the whole rice table thing, the ristapa. It's their signature dish in Indonesia. If you go to an Indonesian home or um, a restaurant, their thing that they often have is called ristoffel, which is basically rice table. It's really incredible. And it's lots of small dishes. And the main thing is rice. It's 
So you have rice on your plate and then all these little light dishes go around the edge. I like 20 of them. You have little different things of meat and, and chicken and then you have all these sauces. You have grated coconut and raisins and spicy chilies and you put all that in with each little, you take a little bit of meat, you put it on the rice. So as you go around the table, you start it very mild and you end up with very spicy. So you have all these cooling side dishes with yogurt and things like that to make it cooler so you can eat it. She would do Greek food and like Indonesian thing, which is a lot of work. And then she would do Mexican food and she would cover the globe and try really different things all the time, Spanish food. Um, we lived in London for a while when I was a kid, so she kind of got good at some of the British, more traditional things, old fashioned British dishes. They'd often have Halloween parties. They'd always get dressed up in costume. People would come in costumes um, and they they just party on, you know, for hours and hours. My mom kept a journal of all her dinner parties. She used to write after every dinner party what the menu was, what worked, what didn't work, what to change next time and what to take out and what to put in. She'd write who the guests were and who got along and who didn't and how not to invite this couple with that one because they didn't like each other. It was really interesting. She read a whole thing after each party, or this was fabulous. I have to make this again next time I want to make double it because it wasn't quite enough, or this needed salt, or this needed to have more cream, and I just, next time I'm going to add that. And she would do that for each. I have the whole thing. It's handwritten. Coming up after the break, curdled milk, lemon slices, and trusting that things will work out. This episode of the Heritage Cookbook Project podcast is supported by Bob's Red Mill. When you're making those treasured family recipes, don't leave the quality of your ingredients to chance. Visit bobsredmill.com to find out more about this employee-owned company, their products, and how you can fill your pantry with them. With their products, not their employees. Oftentimes, childhood food memories involve a grandparent or two. But with a father who was estranged from his family and a maternal grandmother who was a concert pianist, Amanda didn't have a lot of opportunities to cook with a grandparent. But when Christmas time rolled around, it was a different story. So I had one grandma and that was it. And she wasn't um, much of a cook. She was very, she was a professional musician. She was a concert pianist. And so she was all about her music and her art, and she didn't really cook much. She did a lot of that German baking. So we had a lot of classic German cookies and very traditional, especially at Christmas. We had all these really old fashioned cookies that you get in Germany. And then Austria, she had also done a lot of baking from Austria. And then my mother learned to make them. And then my mother became the really good cook and she would always make, and we all did together at Christmas, we made like, five or six kind of very classic uh, German and Austrian cookies, and we'd make them from scratch, the little hand-done ones with the, put all the icing on them and everything. It was great. It was really fun. It was a lot of work. We'd spend like a week making cookies. My mother was an artist, so that was the big part of it, was we'd spend hours with these little pastry bags with the little different colored icings, and we'd, she'd do cookies that were works of art. Like, you could have framed them. They were really beautiful. Growing up with an artist has its distinct advantages. Amanda's house was filled with inspiration and wonder, adventure and possibilities. She learned the art of entertaining from a mother who paid particular attention to all the details. 
a tension that Amanda witnessed not only in her mother's illustrations for children's books and publications, but in her tablescapes, her entertaining journal, and the food that was prepared for parties. One particular recipe whose origins Amanda can only speculate is for a pot roast that was served for formal parties, including a very special memorial event. It was really elegant and it was so, it's so good. I have it right in front of me, which I love to see it because it's in her handwriting, which is kind of neat because she's no longer here. So it's nice to see. God only knows where she got this. I wish she'd made a little note. And normally she often did. So I don't know. This is strange. You use a brisket or bottom round, it says, and you put all these things in it that I can't even imagine where they ever, how that ever occurred to her to do. It's cooked in sour cream with anchovies and soy sauce and Worcestershire sauce and lemon. And you cook it for hours and hours and hours. It seemed like it was hours and hours. What does she say here? Oh, it says here, four hours. It kind of reminds me, there's a um, Marcella Hazan recipe that I used to teach in my basic Italian class. It was a pork that was cooked in milk. Very simple. You cook it in a ton of milk and the milk curdles and separates. And then all the milk becomes kind of brown and caramelized from cooking and these curds that are left. And then that becomes the sauce that you serve with the pork. And it's really well known. It's her a signature dish of hers and it's fantastic. And this is like that, this sour cream thing. And at the end, she says to serve it with noodles, which is how we always had it. Um, and then um, you have like these lemon slices on the top. Is that odd or what? It was delicious, absolutely delicious. I mean, I crave this thing when I think about it. She even wrote on here, very good with two exclamation points. <laughs> this was one of the best things. When my mother, she planned her own memorial service before she died, because that's the kind of person she was. And she wanted us to make this to serve at the dinner, and we did. When I asked Amanda what words of wisdom she had regarding the making of this dish, she offered these words of advice, which could also apply to most anything we undertake in our lives. Not to be turned off by the odd combination of ingredients, and even if it looks like it's kind of doing something weird. But then it all comes together at the end, and it all you just have to trust that things going to work out. I hope you enjoyed Amanda's story about pot roast and sour cream and growing up as a hippie. If you want to hear more stories like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The full recipe for pot roast and sour cream can be found at theheritagecookbookproject.com. And don't forget to register for access to the printable cookbook pages. Cheers. The Heritage Cookbook Project podcast was produced and edited by me. I'm Leigh Olson. Sound design and mixing also by me.